Hey guys, this is our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you found us. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about following Jesus, loving God, and serving one another. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com or check out the Clemson Foothills Church YouTube channel. We love learning what God says to us in His Word, and we hope this podcast helps you to do that as well. With all that said, let's dive into the episode for this week. Whether your Bible is a paper version, which God prefers and is happy with, or it's on your phone, that's okay. I'm just messing around with you. What we do want to do is get into a place where we are entering into God's Word in a way that's humble, in a way that isn't um, consumeristic, right? We want to examine our heart. We want God to move our hearts. And here's the thing. We need to have a conversation with Him about that. And so I want you to do that right where you are in private Talk to God about his message, about his word. Do, do you want him to talk to you today? Or are you thinking, oh, I, don't, I don't know. Here's what I do know is he wants to talk to us. He is talking to us. He does hear us praying to him. He knows what our thoughts are. He knows what those things are. And here's what I love. If, if you haven't got this from the book of Hebrews as, we've been, as we have been uh, reading it, here's what I've received over and over and over again as I've read through the book of Hebrews is God is consistently saying, hey, don't run away from me, run to me. Like, I'm who you want to run to, okay? Open arms, run to me, all right? And so let's take a minute to pray, and then I will close us out, and we'll continue with the sermon. Father, thank you for, um, just thanks for being you. Um, thank you that uh, you do call us to run to you and not away from you, God. You, you make it so great. You make it so welcoming, Father. And I, I pray that Satan won't have any foothold. Um, I know the world and Satan wants us to be afraid to come to you and afraid uh, that we'll feel guilty and afraid that we'll be shamed and all of those things. And Father, I pray that you just open our eyes. Uh, open every, our ears, our eyes, our, our senses, whatever it takes to know that you are a loving father, a good father, a father who desires so desperately for us to be near you. Um, help us to remember that as we dig into your word, and I pray that you speak to us, that we hear you, that we're changed, that we leave here. God, I just hope and pray that we, that we love people the same way you love us, God. And just thank you for letting us read your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, again, we are in the thick of this theme that we've been playing around with for the whole year of this idea of by faith, living by faith, right? That's really the important part. It's not, as we've discussed, it isn't how can I come up with this one humongo decision and then live by faith, although there are times we need to make big decisions, for sure. Um, but what we're really hoping to learn and be transformed is how do I live every day by faith? How do I learn to make decisions faithfully? How do I learn to navigate my day like my boring day the way Jesus would navigate it, all right? And that takes practice, doesn't it? I mean, I've never met anybody, and I feel like I know a lot of people who are deeply spiritual. I've never met anybody who does this just naturally. Like, they're just like, no, I, I examine everything through the lens of Jesus. I don't see that. I don't know that. I know for sure that's not me. Okay, it takes practice. It takes repetition. It takes us being thoughtful. That's why we're doing this series for so long, because it has to be on our minds. And we slowly and hopefully you're kind of putting it together 
and your everyday kind of mundane life is being changed to be thoughtfully faithful and thinking about, hold on a minute, what would Jesus be doing? Um, so we've talked about some things here. Um, if I can get my clicker to work, there we go. Um, a couple questions. Here's what's helpful to me. Questions are helpful to my heart. When I'm doing my quiet time, when I'm studying my Bible, it, these help me to examine myself, okay? And so when I'm thinking about living by faith, I think of this question. This week, have I made any decisions that required me to trust God? All right. And, and, and that requires some thought. Like, I, like it, just standing here and going, hold on a minute, what are all the decisions I made? It requires me to slow down, and I think all of us probably need to do that more often. Just take a deep breath and slow down, because life is fast, right? Um, th- so what does that look like? Sometimes you're going, well, I, Keith, what does that really look like? Here's the statement that goes along with that question. Okay. Are you making any decisions that you would say, I don't know what's going to happen, but... I don't know what's going to happen, but you know what? I know God is with me. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know God is going to take care of this. I don't know because of your obedience, because of your decision, because of your faith in trusting him. Have you made any of those decisions where you said, you know what? I don't know what the outcome will be, but I know God is calling me to walk this way. I don't know what's going to happen. Okay. So hopefully, again, just training these. This isn't just one of those things you write down and remember for life. But even just walking around, that's what, I've shared that before. One of the, as I'm walking around or in a coffee shop or on campus or something, I'm just thinking about, okay, are, am I making any of these decisions? Just driving it into my mind is, is even a decision, you want to know what? Even a small decision like what will my attitude be? All right, we're, right. What we're not talking about is what we consider maybe necessarily this huge thing, but you know, a big decision that we make every day is a decision, will my attitude reflect Jesus' attitude? And that's faithful. That requires faith to do because it's kind of weird to make those kind of decisions and it's kind of misinterpreted oftentimes and all of those things, but um, maybe it's a decision. Maybe that's what needs to change next week, right? Um, so here's where we are. We're in Hebrews 12. We're almost getting to the end of this book. I hope you've been reading through it. All right. Um, if you haven't, just go ahead and start. Navigate through this. I'll tell you, I have fallen in love with this book. It wasn't actually, I don't know if a preacher should say this on, on YouTube TV, but this wasn't one of my favorite books in the Bible. Okay. It was fairly confusing oftentimes to me. And there was really one chapter that stood out to me was Hebrews 11, right? By faith, by faith, by faith. And I was like, that's what I know about Hebrews. And then I'll tell you what, over a couple of months of reading it and reading it and reading it, I've gone, wow, this is an incredible book. The writer of this book, the way God worked through this person's hand to write this was miraculous. It is beautiful. If you just love literature, it's beautiful, all right? Um, but we're up here to Hebrews 12, and Steve did a great job last week. Man, it was so good, and I hope you went through your notes and kind of brought them on down. But he, he preached out of the first section of Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to go into this section, and I'll, I'll tell you what, we're going to read it, and it's a little bit confusing, but we're going to work through it, okay? Um, sometimes we, we don't want to tackle these things because they can sound confusing, but let's read through it and work our way starting in verse 14, okay? Hebrews 12, verse 14, pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. 
make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble and by it defiling many. And make sure there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for one meal. For you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. And if even an animal touches this mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am terrified and trembling. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to myriads of angels in festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to God who is the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, to Jesus, mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. Make sure that you do not reject the one who speaks. For if they do not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Okay? Whoo, man. So we've got to remember something. It's so important. It, you know, we've got to figure out what did they hear originally? Like the people who first heard it. Because they were aware, as Jewish Christians, they were very aware of this story. In fact, it would sound very familiar to them. To us, not so much, right? To us, you hear the name Esau, and some of you guys are going, es who is Esau? Is he like one of, yeah, like, is he a character in Lord of the Rings or something? Or what, that wasn't really that good. <laughs> but, you know, I was just like, where could he be a character of, like, on the spot, right? Um, but here's the truth is, is you're going, who is that guy? And understanding this original audience would have known, we know that guy. We remember Esau. We remember him. And he talks about Mount Zion, and he alludes to Mount Sinai. And we're going, gosh, I don't know. Maybe you've heard it, but this is very confusing. And that's okay, okay? But we do start, this is the fun thing about the Bible, all right? You're thinking, there's nothing fun about it. It is, believe me. It's amazing because you have to discover things. You dig in, you discover things. And so we're going to get a little bit of context here before we jump in. Uh, I, I want to just share something with you. In verse 14, he gives this command, right? He says, pursue peace and holiness. Something to keep in mind about this word peace, all right? This word peace isn't like peace. This isn't like a cessation of war or conflict, all right? This peace is actually something that um, means wholeness, means wholeness, right? The, the Greek version, arene, the Greek word, is very similar to the Hebrew shalom, 
wholeness, okay, kind of like a wall that's maybe missing a few bricks. It's not whole. He's like, pursue peace, completeness, wholeness, you know, these kind of things. I think I had a slide in here. No, that's not it. <laughs> that is... That is great, and it does remind me. You know, we'll, we'll go back to that in a second, right? Where's my... Okay, we'll come back to that in a second. <laughs> we'll come back. Just a teaser. You're like, whoa, there's the, there's the uh, you know, little, little trailer. Uh, but, yeah, so we want to remember this as he's saying, you, you know, let's pursue peace. Um, again, just kind of thinking through, okay, what does he mean by that? This wholeness, this completeness, pursue holiness. He's going to talk about holiness is a weird word that we often don't use. All right. It's not a greeting you give people in the coffee shop. Hey dude, pursue holiness. (laughs) Like what? Okay. This is weird. We don't use that. But he's saying, listen, be changed by Jesus from the inside. That should be normal. All right. Be changed by Jesus. And, uh, and then, but he goes on and just getting a little bit of a background of what would those original hearers, what would they have heard and understood? They would have heard, okay, pursue completeness in our relationships. Pursue holiness like growth over time, being changed by Jesus, all right? And he goes on down here in verse 18 through 24, he starts talking about these mountains. Can you picture what these mountains look like or where they are? Hmm? Mordor. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's in Middle Earth. No. Uh, But the thing is, is to these guys, these mountains met something very specific. So the mountain that could be touched, what a picture here too. He said, you haven't come to this mountain that could be touched and there was this lightning and this gloom and this darkness and all of that. Isn't that a great picture? Don't you think like, wow, that's awesome that God did that. Like he's just scaring people to death. Okay. Do you know where that was in the Old Testament? That's right. So if you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 20, you can read that. You can put that in your notes. Go, I'm going to read that to make sure that this is true. But at the beginning, when God gave the Ten Commandments and the law to his people, he said, Moses, come on up on this mountain. And it's like a storm. It is dark. The clouds are over the mountain. There's lightning. It's shaking. The mountain's shaking. He's like, Moses, come up. And the people heard the words of God and were like, please don't let us hear any more. That's how scared they were. All right. We can understand being scared, right? We can understand that. But they were so scared. In fact, God said, don't even let an animal come up on this mountain. Because anyone that comes up and touches this mountain, they're going to die. All right. That was the invitation to come to God back then. All right. Can you imagine that being so petrified? All right. That right there was Mount Sinai. That was the idea of him saying, you want to know what? This is how God welcomed in our ancestors. He said, come on up. And they were scared. He said, but us, he uses this other mountain. He says, this is Mount Zion. You don't have to know anything about Mount Zion to understand this. Basically, what he's saying here, he gives this description, all right, because Mount Zion is where Jerusalem is, and it's the heavenly city. But he gives this uh, analogy here in verse 22, or this illustration. He goes, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to myriads of angels. Do you know how many myriads are? Like, what's a myriad? What's two myriads? What's three myriads? (laughs) No, a myriad is... In indefinite number, just this uncountable number, right? So you got to picture this. He's saying, guys, remember your ancestors, thunder, lightning, 
killing your animals on the mountain. Like this was scary. You didn't want to hear them. But he said, you want to know what you've come to? You've come to this mountain and it's like the living God is there. Jesus is there. In fact, there's a myriad of angels. There's too many to count. And, all, and they're having a festival. That's way better, isn't it? You're like, hold on, earthquake mountain that's very scary with God talking and scaring me to death or party. Okay? And he describes this, this festive gathering. He said, in Mount Zion, the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven. You know who else? God is the judge of all is there. The spirits of righteous people made perfect. Jesus is there. You know, he's painting this picture that really is scary and incredible. One is, why would you go up that mountain? The other is, why wouldn't you go up that mountain? You see the difference in those? It's, it's fear. He's saying for us now, that's us being called up. That's us, God going, hey, come and see me. And it isn't lightning, and it isn't thunder, and it isn't earthquake, and it isn't all these things. It's amazing. Okay, again, don't run away, run too. All right? But the people in this book, the people who are reading it, they were used to the mountain, the scary mountain, the Old Testament mountain. They were used to that, which is, man, this is scary, but a little bit secure, okay? And so just keeping that in mind, as you read through this, that's what they would have been hearing. Right? They would have been hearing, hold on, scary party. Scary, awesome. Who would go up there? Why wouldn't I go up there? All right? And he's saying there's, there's the difference. That's why we have something better. If you read the book of Hebrews, there's oftentimes the writer you know, makes a point that we have something even better than they had. And this is one of those things that are better, right? Um, and so anyway, um, that's... Those are the important things to not get bogged down in as we start reading through this, because it can get really easy on Sinai and Zion and mountains that can't be touched and animals that are going to die on the mountain. And what the heck does this even have to do with my life? All right. Big picture. He's saying, y'all come to me. It's nice up here. Okay. That's the big picture. Here's the other side of the big picture. It's getting back to this picture right here. Okay. This is the big thing. If you're going to describe this section, and we're going to dig into this in a second. Um, this is a common purpose together. This is God saying, you want to know what? To, to his people, y'all need to be arm in arm. Okay. And why I bring this up is because oftentimes it's very easy to read the Bible as an individualistic manuscript. Like he's just talking to you. All right? And unfortunately, our English versions translate into, this, in, into singular, like, you know, tense, singular words, he, it sounds like it's just individualistic. But many times when we read about people being asked to do something, it's plural, it's you all. Okay. And we're going to see this section. That happens a lot where God is saying, all of us here, arm in arm. Okay, arm in arm. This is about doing this together. This is about being together. This is about look to your right, look to your left, all right? And so what's interesting is when he says pursue peace, when he says that, he, he's talking about relationally. Is there anything deficient in your relationships with anyone? Is there any bricks missing in the wall? Is there anything you're going, you know what? In this particular relationship, I haven't forgiven them. I'm holding on to bitterness. Right? I'm just angry. I'm not going to let them. I'm stubborn. I don't care about them. 
They've hurt me. I'm not going to. They got to go first. Okay, those are all like bricks missing in this wall. And he's saying, here's what I want you to do. Arm in arm, pursue peace, pursue holiness together. All right. If you're not into football, maybe you're into World War II. I love this one right here. Has anybody here seen Band of Brothers? Man, we need to have like a church, like movie night. So Band of Brothers, it's about a a, a company in World War II um, that jumped in at D-Day, and they fought in the war all the way to taking of Hitler's eagle's nest. And it's this documentary kind of movie. Um, But there's a word in it they use. It's called Kurahi. All right, and actually the mountain, it's the mountain they ran up, and it's the mountain they ran up together, and it was the mountain they trained on that's 45 minutes away from here, actually. You can actually go run up the Mount Kurahi, all right, but Kurahi is an Indian word, and do you know what it means? Anybody that have watched that? Huh? Uh-uh. We stand alone together. Boy, that says so much about being a disciple. Right? There's, these, there's these parts of our lives of being a disciple where it's like, only I can make this decision. There are, certain, there are certain parts of what we do, only we can make that decision, but, we, but then we do it together. We stand alone together. All right? And it's just it's fascinating. That was their kind of call to all of this kind of stuff. So I want this picture to be in your mind as we're reading this, is God's people just arm in arm. We're going to get through this together. All right. And sometimes we need to take some time and look around and go, who am I not arm and arm in with? Who won't I be arm and arm with? Right. So anyway, um, Esau here kind of jumping around, but we got to talk about this. Um, So Esau was, do you know who Esau's dad was? Who was Esau's dad? You can just yell it out. Isaac, right? So Isaac had a couple of kids, Esau and Jacob. Esau was born first. And you all know what? If you were the firstborn, you got good stuff. Okay? If you were the the firstborn, you know what the blessing you got was? You're going to be in charge of the family. You're going to be in charge of the property. You've got authority. You've got all these things, right? And then remember the story about Esau? Esau came home hungry one day. Have you ever been so hungry you didn't care about anything else? I mean, like, you were just like, I am so hungry, I don't care. Take my car, take, just give me food, okay? Esau came in starving, and he told his brother, Jacob, he said, you have my birthright. You take it. I just want some bean stew. That's what he wanted. He's like, what is your problem, man? Don't you have steak? No. But the thing is, is he's like, I'm famished. I don't even care about this blessing anymore. And then when Jacob got that blessing... You know what the blessing was? It wasn't just that Jacob was going to be in charge of his family. Uh, Isaac said, you get nations will bow down to you. You will be the father of this movement of God. You will, people will bow down to you, okay? And Esau's going, say what? I wanted that. Like, have you ever done that before where you wanted something so badly, and then afterwards you you're like, hold on a minute, but I wanted this other thing. Like, you regretted giving something up, maybe, okay? Well, here's the funny thing about this is, I don't know how many of you guys go to garage sales. You'll start going after I show you this, okay? This sketch was purchased for $5 at a garage sale. They did not know what they had, all right? You're going through, 
And could you imagine going home and you go like, honey, for five bucks, I just bought a $2 million piece of artwork. Yeah, for 10 bucks, right? No. <laughs> You're like, we're going to make money on this. I'm going to double my investment. Think about the person that sold that. <laughs> you know, had a $10 sticker on it probably, and the guy was like, you take this piece of junk for five? Yeah, get it out of here. $2 million, right? Mirror. Two bucks. $25,000. Anybody use $25,000 here? Hmm? <laughs> $2 investment for 20 Think about the person that got rid of that mirror. Okay. That's Esau. That's Esau. I did. Esau's like, I didn't know what I had. I did not know what I had. And I gave it away for nothing. I didn't know what I had. And I gave it away for nothing. Okay. And that's what the writer is explaining to us here. He said, you want to know what? Together, you all, together, arm in arm. Here's what he says. Make sure, right up there in verse 15, that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and by it defiling many. And make sure there's no immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a meal. All right? He's saying, guys, arm in arm. All right? We need each other. Arm in arm, like we're going to stay arm in arm. He says, but guys, make sure this doesn't happen, okay? This is a really tough section. Here's why. Look to the person to your right, look to the person to your left, okay? Okay. Now, devise the plan that you're going to make sure they don't ever make bad choices. Right. <laughs> you just come up with that plan, <laughs> all right? <laughs> that you make sure, right? Boy, at that point, we realize I don't really have a whole lot of power, authority, and influence, okay? Because I'm looking, and I'm going, hold on a minute. What does he mean? Make sure. Arm in arm. It means you want to know what? We're working together. It means it's this idea of we're involved with one another, right? Make sure this doesn't happen. Make sure that us, you know, walking arm in arm, that nobody is even talking about, like, trading in a life with Jesus for something like Esau did, this meal that filled his belly and meant nothing. And then there came a time when Esau was like, but I really want to repent. And he said the opportunity didn't present itself. Have you ever thought about that before? You're like, well, no, no, no. I've got time. I can always go back and repent of this. What if the opportunity never arose? And he said Esau wept in order to repent. And there was no opportunity for it, all right? And so he's saying, guys, together, arm in arm, we've got to be with each other, saying, God, we're not going to fall for a meal. We're not going to fall for something that's worthless. We're going to stay arm in arm, okay? So that idea of make sure isn't that you become a tyrant to your brothers and sisters, right? It isn't that you start being like a field general and spying on people, okay? It's this idea of truly being arm in arm, Let's make sure, let's have these conversations with one another about what's going on in life. Let's have these conversations with one another about how we're being tempted by the world, how we're being tempted by a little bowl of soup, how we're being tempted by a relationship, how we're being tempted by sexuality, how we're being tempted by greed and materialism and talking about that so all of us arm in arm can help one another. 
Okay, that's such a valuable thing to keep in mind here, okay? This 50-cent painting is worth $10,000, all right? Let's make, sure, let's make sure none of us fall for that, okay? Let's make sure none of us are going, you know, that painting, wow, you know, let's sell that thing for 50 cents. Like, no, 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 it's more valuable than that. Being a disciple is more valuable than that, okay? Don't sell it for the world, right? So here's the question. Are things that are important to God important to me? That's the question. So as I'm like doing my quiet time, I'm writing these things down. This was the question that helped my heart. Because when I'm reading this, I'm going, wow, these are all things important to God. Peace, holiness, togetherness, let no bitter root grow up that defiles many. Yeah, it's funny when, when, when you get bitter and cynical and I'm, I, hey man, I confess, that's my true nature. Bitter and cynical, you want to know what? You don't leave anyone alone. <coughs> Everyone has a problem to complain about. Everyone's done something to hurt you. Everyone's done something to offend, right? And so he's saying, hey, together, these are the things that are important to God. I ask myself the question, are these same things important to me? Right? Because when something's <laughs> important to us, we value it. We, we take time aside to think through this. Okay, is this valuable to me? Are the things that are important to God important to me? Here's that idea of maybe, maybe your wall is like this. You're awesome. You're like, my wall is solid. When it comes to pursuing peace and we know God loves this, I've not, no bricks missing, right? Maybe it's that. Maybe you're just like, you know, there's that one brick. It's that one brick, you know. We, we talked, um, I think we talked in family group a couple weeks ago about picking that person to pray for that is hard to love, all right? Now, if you're not sure who that is, look in the mirror, okay? That's good because here's the deal is sometimes questions can make us all arrogant and prideful and go, oh, yeah, I know who that person is. Just one? Can I pray for a few people that are hard to love? Okay, at that point, go to the mirror and tell yourself something. I am hard to love because you're human, okay? There are things, the greatest amongst us, all right? You're hard to love at times, okay? But it's this idea of, man, it's that one person that you're like, I'm not going to work things out. I'm not going to be arm in arm. I'm not gonna do that. Maybe it's just one brick. Maybe it's a lot of bricks. And this is where you get discouraged. You start going, my life is in shambles. I don't have close friends, right? I don't have, like, there's so many things going on. There's so many people I don't like. There's so many people that have offended me. There's so many people that have hurt me. There's so many people I can't, like, I don't even want to be around them. Right? And going, well, okay, well, here's the cool thing. God, it's important to God to make things whole. Remember, he came to this earth, and the this sweeping theme across the Bible is God making broken things whole. Okay. And it culminates into my and your life. He takes a broken thing and makes it whole. Okay. And so it's this idea of going, well, I might have a lot of bricks and I need a place to start. And you know what's really cool is you get arm in arm and you go, man, I need help. That may be the hardest question we ask because nobody knows what's going on inside of you. Right. And just going, hey, can you help me? How? I don't know how, but we just got to talk, okay? Maybe you don't have an answer to that, right? Here's the other thing. So, you know, we don't have this artwork and this mirror and all of these valuable things. In fact, you may go home and look for those things. 
okay? You're going, man, no, this has to be worth more, right? No, no. But as we navigate through this here, and he talks about don't be like Esau, make sure that you're working together. Make sure that like the Esau attitude isn't coming out. Make sure all this stuff isn't growing up. He says, because you haven't gone to this mountain that's scary, you've gone to this mountain that's beautiful and amazing and inspiring, and it's awesome, and it draws you in, okay? And here's a question. Do I even know how good I have it? When I started examining that in myself, I was like, I don't think about that that often. Do I even know how good I have it? Now, there are some thoughts that are going to come up. You may go, Keith, you don't even know what I've been through. You have no idea. That's offensive that you even would ask that question. Yeah, it's good for you because whatever, and we have all these things. And it's, a, it's amazing how we can look at everyone and say, well, sure, it's easy for you. Have you ever done that before? Sure, it's easy for you. You haven't been through what I've been through. Except how do you know? <laughs> how do you know? Well, if you're positive and you're faithful and you're all these things, you must not have gone through anything hard. Okay? Instead of going, no, no, no. Do I know how good? Do you know how good you have it right now? Do you know how good you have it? Look around. Do you know how good you have it that God has put people in your life? Do you know how good you have it with your spouses and your kids and your friends and your family group? Do you know how good you have it? Okay? And this is one of the things that takes us down a really dark path. When you talk about being arm in arm, you know what gets really, really difficult is when people are going, this isn't that great. (laughs) This isn't that. People are messed up. Welcome to the church. (laughs) No kidding. That's a true statement. If you ever said that, you're like, you know what? This church is messed up. Okay, great. At least we're on the same page. Okay? I mean, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure that out. Okay? It's easy to figure that out. The hard part is going, what am I going to do? Because... Here's the deal. I'm part of the problem and I'm part of the solution. That's it right there, okay? There is no, like, savior amongst us that is going to show us, you know, who's the greatest of all, all right? But it's this idea of, man, when we stop, okay, how do I examine this, right? How do I examine, okay? First of all, this is great. I love Winnie the Pooh, okay? This is Winnie the Pooh's thoughtful spot, okay? You need to have a thoughtful spot. I'm just telling you. You got to have a thoughtful spot to sit down and go, I'm just going to think for a little bit, okay? Because here's the deal. You can't figure out how good you have it on the fly. There's no way. It's not like, I'm going to think about that on the way to work tomorrow. Doesn't work. I'm going to think about that tomorrow. Every commercial that comes on TV, I'm going to think about that. Okay, no, 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 because you're watching Netflix. There's no commercials, okay? (laughs) I'm going to think about that. And you're thinking about all the convenient ways. And I'm saying, get yourself a thoughtful spot, okay? And sit down and go, man, this week or this month, I thought about and expressed gratitude regularly. You want to know what? When I know, when I've been examining how good I have it to be with you and to be with my family and to be in Clemson, you want to know what? expressed gratitude is not hard. In fact, that just comes out. All right? So if you're not sure, do I know how good I have it? Well, just examine this when you get home. This week, this month, I thought about and expressed gratitude. Don't go, yeah, I remember that one time I was grateful. I said, thank you. No, no, you know what I'm talking about. This week, this month, I pursued and wrestled to forgive others. It's hard to forgive. But you know what? When we realize how good we have it, it becomes just a little bit easier. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
just a little bit, right? Because forgiveness is hard, okay? But God values forgiveness. God values forgiveness. This week, this month, I have strived to live with a contagiously faithful attitude. I mean, if God is that great, if he really is who he says he is, then there should be kind of a contagion coming from our faithfulness. An idea of this positivity. Instead of, you know, if you want to go back to Winnie the Pooh, like Eeyore. You know Eeyore? Like everything is, you know, all silver linings have a cloud. Right? You guys, that's an old saying. You're like, what did he just say? Okay, there's an old saying from the 80s. Okay, but anyway, because here's the deal. Do we want to live? Yeah, it is older than that. If, if, we, if me and you, arm in arm, right, are going to live by faith, okay, this is one of those things where, where individually, us to buy into this and go, hold on a minute, I really, be not fake, right? We're not talking about how can I fool as many people as possible that God is great? They're going, man, God is awesome. Do I know how good I have it? Do I know how good I have it? This is incredible. Now it's this idea of we're contagiously faithful. We're not scared or embarrassed to be positive. We're not scared and embarrassed to look on the bright side. We're not scared and embarrassed to do those things because somebody will go, you're just, you're just not realistic. Of course I'm not realistic. I'm following Jesus. This guy walked on water. That's not realistic. I mean, that he did it for real, but that's not what everyone does. He rose from the dead, of course. That's who we're following, right? This week or this month did I do this? And then finally, here's a question. Have, well, all of us here have probably asked ourselves this question before. Why me? Why me? Why does this happen to me? And it's almost entirely in the context of something bad. Okay. This is a really helpful question to ask in the context of good. This is, so here's this statement right here that's a little bit down here in Hebrews 12, verse 28. Let us hold on to grace. Okay. And that word grace is gift. This gift that was given to you. Hold on to this thing, okay? So as your arm and arm, hold on to this gift. Hold on to how good you have it. Hold on to the gratitude that you don't have to go to that scary old mountain. But you get to come up to this festival with all these, hold on to the grace. This is something that's really helpful to, for us to hold on to the grace, is to start asking our questions, why, why did that good thing happen? Why me? Why do I have it so good? What did I do? I, listen, I didn't do, I, I can be good, but I didn't do anything to deserve what I have. Like, why me? That's how we hold on to the grace. We reverse the question. Instead of going, how come this happened bad? Think about a bad scenario and go, but hold on a minute. There were, almost exclusively, you think of something bad and you go, but there was some good that came out of it. Something came from it. Something, somebody was around. Something, your, your, your course in life changed. You had new, something happened. And rather than going, why me? Why did that bad thing happen? Go, why, why did that good thing happen? What on earth did I do to deserve that, okay? You know what's going to come welling up inside of us? Gratitude. 
What's going to come welling up inside of us is faithful, contagious, like, attitudes. What's going to come welling up inside of us is really this community arm in arm and going, man, we are valuing what God values. We're seeing him for who he is. When the writer's saying, don't, listen, y'all, don't be like Esau. Don't be enamored by the world. Don't be enamored by relationships. Don't be enamored. Remember how good you have it. Stay arm in arm. Hold on to that grace, that gift of going, man, God, why me? Why'd you let me have this? Right? Hang on to that. And he said, so that by this we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It says, so by this, by this idea of us, arm in arm, different people from different backgrounds, all with a common purpose. He goes, so when you hang on to the grace and you realize, God, why me? Why did you give me good things? Why haven't you just banished me? Why have you been gentle with me? He did all of that so we can serve him with reverence and awe. Okay, well, what does that look like? Okay, well, this is what he did. God chose for us. God chose to transform his people into his likeness so that they could be like him to others. That's service to God. That's God going, I'm gonna, listen, I'm going to give my people something that is beyond cost. Like it can, you can't even fathom the cost of the Holy Spirit. You can't even fathom the cost of forgiveness of sins. But I'm going to give them that, not so we can go and do our own thing, but so we can be so in awe of God that we serve him from a standpoint of going, you know what, God did this so that we could be like him to others. So we could be like Jesus to others. And so think about the people God has put around you in your home, the people that sit next to you in your class, and maybe there are people you don't even talk to, right? Your neighbors. This is how we serve him acceptably with reverence and awe. We say, God, what you put into me, I will now serve. I want to be like you to the people around me. Can I do that? Now, all of this is encapsulated in really what we do when we take communion each week. All of this comes together because the greatest, most inspiring, heartbreaking, and at the same time just faith-building event that ever occurred was was God sending his son to die for us. There's never been anything in history like that. There's never been a transaction like that, okay? Is when we look at ourselves and go, man, take a real good look at me and you. We are not worth that. And that's not for us to feel bad about ourselves. We just aren't, right? When it comes to God's perfect son, we aren't like that. Why me? God, why did you do that for me? Why did you do that for us? Those are the questions. Oh my, I can't believe he did that. I didn't do it. I'm a screw up. I've got to be so frustrating in God's eyes. Why don't I grow faster? Why am I not more humble? Why did, you know, why he could come up with so many reasons to be upset with me and you. And he said, but here's my son and he's going to rise from the dead again. And really the essence of it is why me? Why would you do that for me? Okay. Why do we have it so good? Remember the guys that he's writing about in Hebrews 11? They didn't even get to see this. Why do we get to see it? Right? They actually did like amazing things. And we get to see Jesus. So as we're taking our communion, as we're we're thinking through this, here's what I'd like for you to do. If you're taking notes, if you're having some thoughts in your head, 
it's okay to talk to the people next to you, okay? Now, again, as we say often, it's fine to be quiet and prayerful and all those things at communion, but communion also is a community event as well. And so feel free to talk to the person next to you. Maybe there's something that you just think, this, this has to change. We're arm in arm. You might need to sit to the, talk to the person next to you and say, I, help me change this, right? I've been cynical. I've been faithless. It's not been important to me what's important to God. I've been doing my own thing. Everybody else is arm in arm, and I'm over here doing my own thing, right? It's just having that discussion and remembering, you know, why us? Why this group? Why, God, when you created us, you were like, it made your heart happy to reconcile us.